Mattis is worried that the steps that Trump has taken are moving us closer and closer to war. And is there a moment when we can't pull back anymore? Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning in Washington. We're now just two days away from the president's rescheduled State of the Union address. We'll also hear from the president later today ahead of the big game in Atlanta, Super Bowl 53. As always, security is tight ahead of the big game this evening. You hear what the Homeland Security Secretary is saying about that later this morning. Meantime, today, President Trump is preparing for Tuesday's State of the Union. We will hear from him later today as he sits down with Margaret Brennan of CBS News. Another eventful week with negotiations ongoing to try and prevent another government shutdown. And a very interesting back and forth with the nation's intelligence chiefs, including former Indiana Senator Dan Coats, seemingly contradicting the president on a number of important issues relating to national security at a congressional hearing this past week. We have won against ISIS. We've beaten them and we've beaten them badly. Remaining pockets of ISIS and opposition fighters will continue, we assess, to stoke violence. ISIS is intent on resurging and still commands thousands of fighters in Iraq and Syria. Do you still have confidence in Gina Haspel and Dan Coates to give you good advice? No, I disagree with certain things that they said. I think I'm right, but time will prove uh, that. Time will prove me right, probably. All right, so what are Indiana lawmakers saying about all this? This week, I spoke on the record with Congressman Andre Carson. Okay, right now we're joined by Congressman Andre Carson. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Week. Thanks for having me. We want to get your thoughts on, on next week's State of the Union address, but also because you're on the House Intelligence Committee, I want to get your thoughts on the president and the intelligence chiefs, uh, including former Indiana Senator Dan Coats, who went before Congress this past week, kind of contradicting the president on some issues pertaining to national security. And then later the president uh, tweeted this, saying, quote, maybe perhaps intelligence should go back to school. What's your response to all of this? <laughs> well, President Trump is acting like he's never been to school in the first place. Look, constantly disparaging the fourth estate, the media, and the intel community is not a very wise thing to do. Um, Director Colts is a, a, someone I consider to be a friend. Um, I think that he knows these issues. We see him regularly in the intel committee. Um, I think he's right. I think that the withdrawal of troops uh, from the region, particularly uh, the region where we're dealing with an insurgence of uh, ISIS movement um, is a mistake. And I think that his pronouncements, I think, cloud the issue. And it really hurts our men and women on the ground in the Middle East. Well, Roger Stone arrested recently uh, mm -hmm. for, among other things, lying to your committee. You, sure. you believe he was dishonest about uh, some of his testimony in front of the House Intel Committee? Well, 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 well certainly he was, uh, along with witness uh, tampering and other things. He was being very deceptive. I mean, he's known to be a spinster. And so he's really enjoying the media attention, but there are grave repercussions. It's clear that members of the Trump campaign have acted as if they're above the law. The acting AG said this past week that the Mueller probe, in his mind, is nearing a conclusion. Do you think that's the case? Uh, one would hope. I, I, I think Director Mueller is a skilled investigator. He's someone that I've admired even during my time as a police officer and Homeland Security um, watch officer. I think that Director Mueller is knowledgeable. His intent was to uncover criminal activity. Our purpose is to uncover 
the, the spectrum of influence that Russia had on our electoral process. State of the Union coming up Tuesday yeah. night, uh, delayed obviously a week because mm -hmm. of the shutdown, uh, days ahead of another potential showdown. What, what do you want to hear from the president on Tuesday? I'm hoping that our president uh, deals with infrastructure. I'm hoping our president talks very expansively about job creation. I hope that he looks very closely at the democratic infrastructure proposal that is just over a trillion dollars that seeks to create jobs for the next decade or two. Obviously, you know this battle over funding for the border wall will be yes. a topic on Tuesday night. Did the Democrats need to make concessions here as well in terms of, of border funding? I think Democrats have been firm in terms of expressing our concern for security at the border, uh, perhaps in the form of more Border Patrol agents, more sensors, more radars. But to build this symbolic wall, I think it's bad politics. Trump is speaking to his base, but his ba base is even speaking out about his provocations that have embarrassed our country far you, too long. Do you think there'll be any money uh, in terms of uh, a border wall or some sort of barrier when this, uh, when this is all said and done? We're in negotiations right now, but I still think a barrier, at least a 2,000 mile barrier, is, 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 is a step in the wrong direction. Okay, obviously we're, uh, we're starting to get into the 2020 race already. Yes, here. indeed. St starting to hear from a number of Democrats uh, who are running for president, uh, Pete Buttigieg in Indiana mm -hmm. here, Kamala Harris, of course, uh, as well, making a lot of news this week, saying uh, she is for Medicare for all and essentially uh, ending private health insurance. Other candidates also coming out with some policy positions that seem to suggest perhaps a lot of the energy in your party could be moving further left this election cycle. Sure. Is, is that how you see it? And do you think that poses a risk in any way for Democrats? Not necessarily. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've supported universal health care that looks differently for different people. Uh, Medicare for all is something that I can appreciate. Some people... Something you'd support? Um, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm, I, I've said it from the beginning. A single payer, I'm open to that. I mean, there are nuances and differences in the approach. Medicare for all is basically a government-run insurance program. Single payer is kind of a reimbursement program where the government reimburses um, uh, folks who seek medical care. Uh, but we don't have to get into the nuance of it. If Canada does it well, other countries do it well. We can look at the programs and make a decision from there. How big is that issue going to be in the Democratic primary, do you think, as some of the candidates uh, look to perhaps stand apart from each other, perhaps some that are more progressive, more centrist? It's going to be a pretty contentious primary. You know, I, I, you know, contentious pri primaries aren't always a bad thing. I always have several people run against me. I think it's a part of our democracy. I think where we go wrong is that we have such a crowded field that we create an easy pathway for Donald Trump. We don't want to see that again. Supporting any particular candidate yet? Not yet. Some of my buddies are, are running, and, and we joke about it, but I've not committed to anyone yet. All right, we'll see how it all plays out, and we'll look forward to talking with you yes, soon sir. after the State of the Union thank as well. Thank you, sir. Congressman Andre Carson, thank you so much. What we an honor. It. All right, meantime, another big name in presidential politics, John Kasich, was here in Indiana this past week speaking with students at DePaul University. So will he run again, perhaps? Well, we know this. In a very divided time, Kasich continues to talk quite a bit about finding some middle ground in politics. Well, I mean, I think right now you're seeing the Democrats move to the left. Medicare for All is a good example, wealth taxes, things like that. And what's critical, I think, for those who don't support those ideas is to have ideas, you know, that, that you could have more, you know, like we say classic liberalism. What is the answer? If you don't like Obamacare, well, what's your answer? If you, if you, are you willing to recognize there's a growing division between the rich and the poor? If you do, and you don't like the wealth tax, well, what do you think we should do? And uh, in terms of my political future, I really don't know. I'm, 
I'm excited about what I'm doing and a number of things that I'm doing today in terms of, you know, what is there a, a lane, is there a path? It's yet to be determined. All right, coming up, we'll hear from the Indiana mayor who's taking steps toward a potential run for president. More national attention this week from Mayor Pete Buttigieg, what he's saying on that issue of Medicare for all. Plus, the nation's attention turns today toward the Super Bowl. Coming up, we're in Atlanta with a preview and a look at how presidents have played a role in Super Bowls past and present. Bring in our panel right now. Adam Rin is a contributing editor at Politico at Indianapolis Monthly. Two former state lawmakers with us as well. Republican Mike Murphy, Democrat Christina Hale, and 2016 Vice Chair for the Indiana Trump Campaign, Tony Samuel. So we've got the State of the Union, the rescheduled State of the Union two days from now. And this whole situation this past week with the President and his intelligence chiefs, including former Indiana Senator Dan Coats, the President tweeted this picture Thursday saying he just concluded a great meeting with his intel team in the Oval Office who told him, he said, uh, that what they said Tuesday was mischaracterized by the media and that they're very much in agreement on Iran, ISIS, North Korea. He says their testimony was distorted press. Your take on that, Adam, it was a public hearing. Everyone saw it air as it happened, saw and heard them say things. You'd you don't always necessarily hear the president saying on those topics. Yeah, unless uh, C-SPAN uh, did a tricky edit or something, I don't know how we would have taken them out of context. I think this is kind of a set piece that the president engineered in order to sort of take back uh, the spotlight and spin the story. Tony, uh, what's your take on this? What's your, your viewpoint on this? I, I, I agree with the president that uh, you might um, not agree with me there, but you can say two different things and still be saying the same thing. Is it thing. semantics? Is that Part of it is semantics. I think the media made this a much bigger deal than it should have been. Let's just take North Korea, for example. The president is right that he has done more than, than past presidents and he's built uh, a, a, a better relationship on the path to hope, hopefully peace in the Korean Peninsula. But they're still a threat. So any assessment by the intelligence uh, officials are, is correct as well. There's still a threat. You can't trust until it's done. Christina, you wrote about this topic this week in the IBJ. How do you see this? Well, I think not only was it a press conference, essentially, it was also a written report. And there were a number of items, including climate change, where there was definite threat outlined by the chief intelligence officers appointed by our president that was certainly in conflict with much of his recorded statements in so many of his tweets. Not the first time, Mike, where Dan Coates has been somewhat caught in the middle. Here no, not at all. And, and, you know, all you got to do is look at that picture. I call that the stare down picture. Those two guys were not happy with each other. It was not a picnic in the Oval Office that day. You can tell by their expressions. Now, Dan Coates has said as recently as six months ago, I will continue to serve the president as long as I can tell the truth and seek the truth. And I think that's he's still finding a way to serve the president. But if it goes beyond that, I think you'll see Coates resign at some point. We'll see what happens. All right. So former Senator Coates in the news in recent days. Adam, you actually spent some time here this past week with current Indiana Senator Todd Young to talk about a number of uh, hot topics in Washington. Uh, what's he saying about the chance here for another government shutdown in a couple of weeks and, and avoiding that whole standoff again? You know, shortly before I interviewed him, he did his weekly stakeout with leadership, and that included Senate uh, Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell. And he essentially said that, you know, there's no 
education and the second kick of a mule um, sort of becoming his famous talking point right now. Right. So there doesn't seem to be any appetite um, from around, young as well. From young as yeah. well, in a second shutdown. Uh, what kind of a message do you think we'll hear from the president on Tuesday night? Well, I think that the first of all, this thing with with Coates and the DNA, I think I think that's an issue that'll be gone by before the the State of the Union. But I think you have a great jobs report that just came out, uh, 340,000 jobs or something like that. You'd expect the, he'd hit on those numbers. Oh, yeah, when the yeah. estimate was going to be 172. So we got double the job numbers that the economists expected. I think the economy, despite you know the tariffs and the trade wars, whatever you want to call them, is still, is still humming along to a large degree. And peop, more people are becoming employed every week than before. And I think he'll, he should be talking a lot about the economy. What about the Democratic response? Uh, crucial in a year like this ahead of a presidential election? Oh, absolutely crucial. And it's interesting in the choice of the person they've asked to deliver that in Stacey Abrams, who I think really they're teeing up for uh, perhaps a U.S. Senate run after her really close close, close, almost victory in Georgia recently. So I think it's a signal, too, where the party's going. Tony, what do you think we'll hear Tuesday? I think Mike's absolutely right. Uh, jobs in the economy, it's, it's the strongest point, that the, 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 the strongest win for the president over the last two years. Wages have been steadily increasing, and that hasn't happened. GDP growth month after month, quarter after quarter is great. But he'll also talk about unity. We've, we've, we see so much divisiveness. We see it all the time. We see it on this border security debate and he'll hit hard on need for a border wall security and I think he's winning that argument. This, uh, this State of the Union that they wanted to delay and try to stop, uh, they know that he's going to be strong on, on uh, protecting our borders and that's going to be a big win for the president. Unity is a hard thing to sell these days in Washington, right? It is. And, you know, we keep talking on this show, too, week after week about drama. And certainly um, President Trump is going to be wound up. I think he's going to be gunning for bear as he heads into this state of the state. and State of the Union. Uh, sorry, state of the Union. <laughs> Forgive me. Forgive me. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of emotion as well, I think, right. that he's going to be unpacking, really, in a way that um, we're not quite used to seeing from a president. All right. Talk in 2020. There is more news in the race for president. The campaign already underway in some respects. This past week, Senator Cory Booker announced that he is running for president. But there's also a lot of talk about Medicare for all, and that topic be potentially becoming a, a big dividing issue for Democrats. We spoke about that earlier with Congressman Carson, this week South Bend Mayor, and 2020 hopeful Pete Buttigieg says he supports single payer as he continued to make the rounds on national TV. Things are changing tectonically in our country, and we can't just keep doing what we've been doing. We can't nibble around the edges of a system that no longer works. It's bringing people together, it's implementing good policies, and it's capably running an administration. All of those have been missing right now in Washington. All right, so we'll get into that Medicare issue here momentarily, but uh, first, Adam, when it, when it comes to the impact uh, Buttigieg is having here so far on the national stage, uh, how do you see, see things? Is he off to a good start? I think he's off to as good of a start as he could hope for. He's had two weeks of glowing national media press, um, and one of his secret advantages in this contest is that he has uh, no sort of partisan record as mayor of South Bend. I mean, there, you have to really look to see him make partisan decisions there. So now he's in a, in a place where he can um, come out on issues like Medicare for All, can come out on eliminating the Electoral College, and he has none of the baggage that a can uh, candidate like Kamala Harris has when it comes to her past as a prosecutor. I mean, for him, he had a very nonpartisan time as mayor, and that's, I think, one of his secret advantages. We spoke about that earlier. Is the energy in the Democratic Party moving further to the left? 
Oh my gosh, when, when you mentioned that the, the party's moving towards Stacey Abrams, I said, go, 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 go farther to the left. I mean, you've got almost every one of them that's running as a socialist. Um, what a Buddha judge, you know, plowing snow and fixing potholes, admittedly, is not partisan, but he's going to have to put his big boy pants on now and get in the middle of the mix. And, you know, you're going to have you're going to have these candidates, probably up to two dozen Democrats running from each from their own little little constituency, trying to outdo each other. So so one lady comes out and says 70, you know, tax the wealthy 70 percent. Somebody's going to come out and say 71. Then somebody's going to say 72. Is there naval, room? naval intelligence veteran, mayor, road scholar. I think he's been wearing his big boy pants for some time, and he's been smelling like a rose in all these major media appearances for the past two weeks, from the Today Show to the View. He's got it. Is there room for a centrist? You saw Howard Schultz come out this week, uh, and, and not a lot of enthusiasm I'm, so far I'm, for I'm his. I'm glad we're talking about that because. As the party moves further, the Democrat Party moves further and further to the left, falling off the edge, in, in my opinion, uh, what they need and, and what they should embrace, the ones that don't want to be dragged all the way to the left, is somebody like the former CEO of Starbucks. But Howard Schultz has voted in 11 out of the past 38 elections. He has election. no, no interest. He's, he's just another rich billionaire with an ego. Quick yeah, I think the, what we would miss from the lesson of the Trump uh, campaign would be that, you know, the old lines of left and right don't really exist. You know, one of the successful things that Trump did was he, you know, found some disaffected Democrats and brought, him in, brought them into his campaign by talking about things like bad trade deals. And I think Pete Buttigieg represents the same ability to frame traditionally liberal issues in a conservative way. And I've got to say, too, I... I it's not a party moving to the left, falling off the cliff. That's a whole lot of hyperbole, <laughs> gentlemen. But this is a, going to be a primary about ideas, and it's really easy to conflate that with identity politics. But you're going to hear some good ideas, and I'm really glad that we'll have so many candidates out there talking about the issues that really matter to people. All right, let's also talk about the latest news at the State House. One month into the legislative session, a four-month budget writing session. This week we caught up with Governor Eric Holcomb, and we also heard from the top Republican in the state's Senate on the topic of hate crime legislation, something the governor has been pushing for. I'm very pleased with where we are. Obviously, we're getting ready to go into the second quarter of this uh, long budget session. I'm pleased that on both sides of the aisle, we're all focused on the things that really make a difference in people's lives and, uh, and uh, offer a better future for us all. With regard to the uh, bias crimes legislation, I spend a lot of time every day talking about that, whether it's to uh, senators or people that are interested in it outside of this building, uh, trying to determine maybe what the best course of action is and also what, uh, what kind of language the Senate can support. Okay, also Senator Bray telling us they could have a hate crime bill out of the Rules Committee, perhaps to discuss in a public hearing as soon as this week. We'll keep you posted. House Speaker Brian Bosma saying he wants that bill to start on the Senate side, so we'll see what happens next. All right, stick around. We're back with more right after this. The entire Atlanta Area Public Safety team have done an outstanding job in developing their plan for this weekend's activity. You can rest assured they have thought of every contingency and have worked extraordinarily hard to make this a safe and secure game day. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen talking about the security preps for the Super Bowl in Atlanta. Of course, you can watch the game tonight on CBS4, but you'll also be seeing just a bit of politics in the mix. Our Chris Whitlick is in Atlanta to explain how presidents past and present have become part of the big game as well. Chris? 
We're in Atlanta for the big game, and along with the regular Super Bowl pregame coverage will be something that's become a recent tradition. CBS will air an interview with President Trump during Face the Nation and during regular Super Bowl pregame coverage. As we said, it's a recent tradition that started on CBS in 2004 when then-President Bush spoke with Jim Nance live from the Rose Garden. Well, from that point on, President Bush and then-President Obama sat for an interview every year on Super Bowl Sunday. President Trump did a Super Bowl Sunday interview his first year in office, but didn't do an interview last year. Well, he sat down with Face the Nation moderator Margaret Brennan for the interview that will air later today. Well, no sitting president has ever attended the Super Bowl, but four vice presidents have, including Mike Pence, who was at Super Bowl 51 in Houston, along with the late George H.W. Bush. Some interesting tidbits. Back to you, Dan. And you can see Margaret Brennan's interview with President Trump today on CBS4. Part of it will air on Face the Nation at 1030, followed by pregame coverage from the NFL on CBS, which will feature more of that interview with the president this afternoon. Of course, you can watch all the action unfold tonight on CBS4, kickoff at 630 between the Patriots and the Rams in Super Bowl 53. We're back with more from our panel right after this. Winners and losers, I think a lot of us here at the table hoping the Rams win tonight, but in terms of politics, you're winners and losers for this week. Uh, two winners, Dan. The first is Pete Buttigieg, who's had a great two weeks of press. The second winner is uh, Mike Pence's scheduler and advance team who figured out a way to get him out of the country the next time the government runs out of money. He's headed to Europe here soon, Mike. That's right. My winner has to be Dan Coates. He spoke the truth under great pressure this past week, and my loser has to be the governor of Virginia who came out on radio and advocated for killing babies even after they're born. I made some news this week. Christina. Agree on Dan Coates. And I would say Pacers fans, I think Victor Aladipo is going to come back better than ever and we have a lot to hope for. Tony. My winner is Senator Todd Young, who Adam just interviewed, but he's doing a great job for Indiana. He was in the Indiana State House the last week of the shutdown. I got to speak to him and heard about it. He had just visited the new YMCA at about 50th and Georgetown Road, and they have a veterans wing, and he's doing a great job for, uh, for veterans in all Indiana. Right. Thank you all for being here this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Enjoy the Super Bowl. All right, time to talk more with our panel here. Adam Wren, Mike Murphy, Christina Hale, Tony Samuel. And we're talking a little bit there in our final segment about uh, the news this past week that uh, Senator Richard Lugar issued a statement on, in fact, of the United States uh, uh, deciding to uh, essentially end this Cold War, Cold War era treaty uh, with the Russians as it relates to nuclear weapons. A lot of interesting news on this uh, topic, for sure. Yeah, when the news broke, uh, Lugar issued a statement that was really sort of condemning this news, called it a grave error, said people, Americans, were less safer. Uh, Richard Luger doesn't usually use strong language like that. Um, he spent a lot of his career uh, working Fighting on... Fighting for these yeah, very treaties. Yeah. Right. Um, when President Obama was looking at being uh, running for president, Luger took Obama with him to Russia, and they studied this issue. Um, so this was really a fascinating case. But I think the Trump argument uh, that Obama has has also echoed at certain times is that Russia hasn't been abiding by the, by these. So why should we risk our security and, and abide by them as well? Mike, what's your view on this? Well, first of all, it, the, the INF wasn't just a limit on on ranges of missiles. It actually they're able to oversee the actual destruction of thousands of missiles in Russia, which, which has to make everybody safer, right? Um, 
I'm disappointed that that the treaty has uh, been abrogated essentially or suspended. I guess is the official word, because you can't you can't just walk away. You can never just walk away on from something this important. And I don't claim to know all the inside details, but it doesn't look good. It looks like they're they're walking away from a chance to continue talking. And this is just one piece of many, a broader unbundling, at least, that could be happening. I mean, you look at Brexit and the perhaps beginning of the breakup of the European Union, which was put together to prevent things like a third, year, third world war, which Europe knew it could not withstand, or NATO. I mean, some of our traditional partners are also signaling that um, they no longer count on the United States to be the adult in the room, that they, the role that we had traditionally always played. Um, and now we see also the Coates report reflecting that some of our traditional adversaries, China and Russia, have a warmer, more collaborative relationship than ever before, certainly um, within anyone's lifetime that happens to be alive today. This all could add up to a very different and, and challenging world order in the years to come. Former Senator Luger, you may recall, was somebody in 2016 who said he wasn't supporting uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton in that particular election. He stayed somewhat neutral in that way politically. Uh, he did. He did. And um, he has from time to time uh, spoken out and, and gotten a little fired up. I, I, this treaty was important. Uh, it has been. It has kept us safer. Um, but if Russia is not adhering to it now, then it's time for a change. Um, uh, President Trump was elected to shake things up. And that, that means on every front, including, including this type of thing. And he is going to use it as a negotiating tool. But why not send a strong message to Russia? Mike? The, the bigger problem here is whether it's this treaty is just a symptom of a much larger problem. You have you know, the saber rattling against China. You have you know, China trying to take over, create these fake islands in the middle of the Pacific or in the western part of the Pacific to, to gain more hegemony over that area. And if you, if you listen to Secretary, former Secretary Mattis, he is obsessed with the, actually the book, The Guns of August. Because if you read The Guns of August, uh, Barbara Tuckman talks about steps that were taken and then after a certain point you could not pull back. War just became inevitable. And Mattis is worried that the steps that Trump has taken are moving us closer and closer to war. And is there a moment when we can't pull back anymore? And let's talk war about the Pacific China. theater just one moment. To your point, too, about the atolls that are being built up. China. Look at the Philippines. You know, that was our traditional ally. We had Navy based there. We had Air Force there. We've pulled out. And who's filling the vacuum? And President Duterte is saying, too, I'm going to turn to China and turn away from, once again, traditional ally, the United States. And, you know, Adam just asked me a question on the side. He goes, war with whom? Well, I said China, but you can also think of Iran, right? You can think of Russia. If something happens in Venezuela or Syria that doesn't go away, you get to the point where, you, you know, Especially with, 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 frankly, male rulers, they tend to have so much pride they can't walk away. Well, look, um, there's a lot going on in the world, and that's what was at the center of this congressional hearing that Dan Coates spoke at this yeah. past week. Um, it, it, is, is the intelligence community sending a different message than what, than what the president of the United States Here's what the message the president has sent in his, his first budget. He increased uh, defense spending, military spending, by greater than we've ever seen. He is for a strong defense, one that it's built up so vastly and, and so strong that we don't have to get into wars because there's that fear factor from the other side. 
So, you know, there are hot spots all over the world that he's dealing with. I, I, I might say you can't have it both ways. You can't criticize him for being too soft on Russia, uh, but then also criticize him um, for, for being tough on them on this treaty. But let me give you another example. Um, the, President Trump was determined, determined to withdraw from the, what they call chorus, which I think is the Korean, U.S., whatever, agreement. Okay? So he was determined to get a letter on his desk that he could sign. Gary Cohn actually pulled it off his desk, and he knew that Trump wouldn't remember that it was gone. Somewhat infamously. That was yes. In the news. Right. So yeah. the reason Cohn said that that agreement is important is not because of trade deficits or jobs or anything else. It's because the super secret centers we have in South, or South, America, or South Korea along the DMZ will give us notice of a North Korean missile launch within seven seconds. Without that, we don't get a missile uh, notification for 15 minutes from sensors in Alaska. So withdrawing from the chorus agreement, which frankly Trump did not understand, would have made us significantly less safe, particularly on the West Coast. So all these hotspots around the world, and you mentioned Russia, in your view, uh, people criticizing the president from both directions on Russia. Obviously, there is the Russia probe. Uh, we'll be hearing uh, more on that in the coming days. You'll also, uh, there's also been talk about these Russian oligarchs, sanctions lifted. Mm -hmm. uh, and you had a chance, Adam, to speak with Senator Young uh, about that when you were in Washington yeah. this past week. He voted to lift those sanctions. Yeah. Uh, what did he have to say about that? There was a fascinating vote a couple of weeks ago that really split up the Hoosier delegation. You saw traditional hawkish people like Senator Young uh, vote to, to lift the sanctions along with Senator Mike Braun. Um, and then you saw others like uh, Representative Jim Banks from Fort Wayne um, vote to keep the sanctions. And so it was a really interesting moment for me. So I asked Senator Young about what his reasoning was. And he said, you know, his vote was really not so much as, as it pertains to this one oligarch, but really to uphold the sanction strategy that the U.S. has. He said that if he hadn't have voted to uh, lift those sanctions, that people wouldn't have had as much predictability around the world about U.S. sanctions policy. Essentially what he was saying, is that um, you know these sanctions were put in place so that Oleg um, Deripaska yeah. would essentially uh, change the governance of his company and make it owned less by him. He did that, according to Secret uh, Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin, and essentially Young was saying, if if I would have kept those sanctions there, we would have been reneging on our promise to to be a dependable uh, sanctions partner in this case. One thing you notice, though, both senators voted to uh, to get rid of the sanctions, where some of our House members, equally conservative, yeah. voted to keep them. Jim Banks, but, uh, the, Representative. But the big dif the big difference is that our House congressional folks have to run for re-election every two years, okay? They face the wrath of the people much more quickly, where our U.S. senators can take a more long-term view of things, a little more statesmanlike maybe, and not risk the wrath, so to speak, the only, so easily. The only the thing that that calculation leaves out is that Senator Todd Young is now a member of uh, Senate Republican leadership and is a little bit more beholden to to sure. the, of the NRSC the now, so, yeah. Um, you don't want daylight in there. Speaking of politics, 2020, we talked about that quite a bit on the broadcast today as well. A lot of Democrats in this field uh, already, and, and you mentioned perhaps two dozen. I mean, who knows Could what be. the final number yeah, would I be I hope it's here. more. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> it will be. Mayor Pete Buttigieg in, in, in the race. Um, what do you think of this whole uh, dynamic right now, this discussion um, about issues like Medicare for All and about just more broadly about the party potentially on some of these issues moving 
moving to the left ahead of 2020. Well, if we just talk about the politics of it for a moment, you know, many Democrats might disagree with me, but I really admired the Republican Party last go around when they put so many people up because it engaged voters into the issues. When you had two stages worth of debaters out there um, driving that conversation, and I really felt regret that we had this kind of pre-anointed nominee that really um, caused our primary season to be a little um, less uh, exciting. You know, we had the Bernieites. We had Hillary, yeah, right. and, and Martin O'Malley. And it, hung Martin O'Malley, for a while, yeah, but, but it was really came down the to them, really. the personalities. Mm -hmm. and Jim Webb was in there for. A week? A week? Yeah. yeah. And somebody else. So we, we didn't really get the ideas out on the table, you know, or blow the dust off. And I think that it's exciting. I think that we'll get a lot of different points of view, and um, it's going to bring some, some vigor into our party. But what the candidates are doing on the Democratic side is they're driving each other further and further to the left. They're trying to outdo each other. Let's talk about Medicare. Okay, almost every candidate, I'm not sure if everyone yet, has come out and said free Medicare for all. Well, if you take their economic policies, which are essentially hovering around um, uh, text, uh, taxing the wealthiest Americans at the 70% level, you could tax almost everybody at the 70% level, and it wouldn't pay for a single one of the radical social programs the Democrats are advertising for. That's only for. after $10 million. Of yeah, but still, it's still. I mean, it's not going to pay for what they say they want. You so, can't paint it with that broad a brush. We don't even have all of these people you're talking about declared in the race yet. I mean, Well, and is there room so for far, though, a so more far. centrist Democrat? Uh, in this political climate, do you think, to emerge? Think, would that be where Vice President Biden would position himself? Yeah, I think Vice President um, Joe Biden could position himself there. Um, also, Amy Klobuchar um, could, could kind of have that Midwestern mantle. Um, but I think uh, Pete Buttigieg's major contribution to any Democrat who eventually wins this is um, framing these policies in a way that's more friendly to red state voters. And I think that's really what you've seen him do over the last two weeks in a way that even people like Joe Biden or Kamala Harris haven't been able to do. Um, they talk about it in terms of economic freedom, freedom um, economic security, and I think that's a really interesting um, thing that we haven't seen uh, from another Democratic candidate yet. We'll see what happens here, right? Uh, Iowa caucus about a year away. Here we go, no doubt about it. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Super Bowl predictions. Tony, you think the Patriots will win. This England. podcast may come out as the game is on. So. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think New England. <laughs> uh, I, I just I always go with the, the veteran quarterback versus the young quarterback, and that's... No, nobody better than Tom Brady. I want the Rams to win. I Who want the Rams. I'm crossing right? my fingers. The Patriots will win because the Lakers, or not the Lakers, the Rams <laughs> the Lakers. already got the call, you know, the extra call that they didn't deserve. The refs. It's always the refs. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.